0: Rebecca and Holly and we are the directors of a new society called Young Musicians for Social Justice. Young
1: Musicians for Social Justice seeks to bring together and empower young musicians to recognise their potential as agents of social change and this podcast asks the question what is the role of
0: music in bringing about social justice? Over the next 10 weeks we are going to be hearing from a number of different speakers all with unique perspectives on this question.
1: We are both students at the University of Leeds. We met over coffee at Hyde Park Book Club here in Leeds, which if you're a student, you must go to. And we bonded over our mutual interests in music and social
0: change. We really hope you enjoy listening to our conversations as much as we did.
1: So, today we are here with Breon Bain and Claudia Pena. Yeah, yeah! (laughs) That was delayed, so I didn't even hear it. (laughs) Incredible stuff, Um, which is really exciting. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Breon Bain is Brooklyn's own prison activist, actor, hip-hop theatre innovator, and spoken word champion. Described by Cornel West as an artist who speaks his truth with a power we desperately need to hear. His theatre, film, and television work are critically acclaimed. Playing over 40 characters in his one-man theatre production, Lyrics from Lockdown, is executive produced by Harry Belafonte and tells the story of Bane's wrongful imprisonment through hip-hop theatre, spoken word poetry, blues, calypso, comedy, and letters. Wrongfully imprisoned in his second year at Harvard Law, Brion sued the NYPD and told a story for 20 million viewers on 60 Minutes. His work received the largest response in the history of the nation's most widely read progressive newspaper. Bain produced the lyrics on Lockdown Tour, which reached 25 states and spawned higher education courses using the performing arts to build literacy and prisons nationwide. Bain taught for a decade on Rikers Island's penal colony. After teaching in the Dramatic Arts Division at Harvard, Bain founded the Prison Education Program at NYU to offer higher education and college degrees to men incarcerated in upstate New York. Brion founded and directs the Prison Education Program at UCLA, where he has developed and taught arts and justice-based courses and programs in Los Angeles prisons, and was recently featured in an Emmy Award-winning production of LA Stories. Bain's work has been featured at the Apollo Theatre, Carnegie Hall, Lincoln Center, the Public Theatre, National Black Theatre, New Jersey Performing Arts Centre, the Actors' Gang Theatre, Los Angeles Theatre Centre, Festival de Liege, M1 Theatre Festival, Universidad de las Americas, and Mutisa Royal University, Rikers Island, Marion Prison, TEDx at Ironwood State Prison, and Sing Sing Prison. His collaborators on stage and screen productions include Academy Award winners Jonathan Demme, Jim Isaac, Antoine Foucault, and Tim Robbins, and influential artists, activists, such as Scott Budnick, Danny Glover, Aloe Black, and rapper-actor Common. Author of three books, Bain's music, poetry, videos, and TED Talks are available on Life After Lockdown, the digital mixtape, produced by hip-hop founder DJ Kool Herc. Brian has performed at over 250 colleges and prisons in the US, Africa, Asia, Latin America, and Europe. Bain is developing a limited series based on his life and work with Emmy award winner winner, Rob Rayner and Warner Brothers. Brian is the host and co-producer of a new series for AMC, the Sundance channel titled We The Jury, which reviews some of the nation's most controversial courtroom cases. For more on his work, visit www.breon.com, which we will link below. Claudia Pena serves as the Executive Director of Four Freedoms, which is an artist-led platform for civic engagement, discourse, and direct action for artists in the United States. She is on faculty at UCLA School of Law and in the Gender Studies Department, and also faculty in residence with the Prison Education Programme, which creates innovative courses that enable faculty and students to learn from, and alongside, participants who are currently incarcerated. She's a member of the Guild of Future Architects, which is a home, refuge, and resource for people collaboratively shaping a kind, just, inclusive, and prosperous world. Claudia is the co-founder of Repair, a Los Angeles-based organization focused on the health and the disabling effects of inequity, violence, exploitation. Prior to that, Claudia was the statewide director of the California Civil Rights Coalition for over five years. While there, she focused on racial justice, gender equity, voting rights, LGBTQIA rights, equal opportunity, progressive taxation policies, housing rights, and coordinating ballot initiative efforts. She was previously Equal Justice Society's judge, Constance Baker Motley Civil Rights Fellow, where she researched and presented on issues of implicit bias and equal protection. Welcome, Brion and Claudia. Thank you for having us.
2: Yes, uh, good to be here. Good to be here.
1: So um, before we get started with the questions, we ask all our guests uh, this question, what music has got you through COVID-19 lockdown restrictions?
2: Oh, Stevie Wonder, Kendrick <laughs> Lamar, <laughs> Fela Ruti. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can go on now. Uh, Nina Simone, The Roots, so many I can name. A uh, little bit of Bach, I, you know, I love me so well-tempered claviers, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Uh you know. Uh Claudia, what about you? <laughs> uh
3: let's see. Definitely Lupe Fiasco. I've been listening to him a lot. It gives me a lot of comfort to hear his honesty. I recently was put on a uh on to Rosalia. I'm- I find that my students keep me up on the latest that's going on out in the music world since I'm not really connected on social media or anything. <laughs> I have yeah. other ways of getting the latest information. Just drag it out of your students <laughs> It's a good idea. <laughs>
2: great great stuff out there jasmine sullivan stuff j electronica him and jay-z's tracks together Uh, you know i gotta say my guilty pleasures include cardi b and uh
1: absolutely (laughs) uh, same i've had cardi b on absolute replay throughout lockdown
2: you know so but there's some lesser known groups the siege uh this uh, Swedish producer, Apache, is really dope. You know, there's a lot of really fly stuff. And then I got my old stuff in the crates I've been digging up, like my, my old thievery corporation, everything but the girl, um, you know, the Bob Marley records, you know. So a lot of, a lot of music. It's when you have to be in one place for a long time, music helps you travel. Right?
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: That's such a lovely quote as well. <laughs> So could you both briefly introduce yourselves? I mean, I know I've just read out your very extensive bios, which was great, but perhaps you could just like summarize a bit about your work and why art and social justice
3: is important to you. I don't know what else I could add besides that long ass bio. It's so, I feel like it's so boring (laughs) to listen to. Other things about me (laughs) that are not in that bio is that I'm a gardener. Actually, like an aspiring farmer. I love wow. to grow stuff of all sorts. Mm-hmm. I'm also a very amateur karaoke singer, but I love it so much. However, you never want to hear me do it. I want to hear it. <laughs> you definitely will never hear it. And I um I'm an aspiring guitarist. Nice. The flamenco guitar is just like it it makes me feel so emotional when I hear it all my life it's brought me to tears and so I finally decided to play it but my ultimate dream is just to become like a one-hit wonder I just want to learn one <laughs> good song be one a one-trick pony play that everywhere bring it wow, out at
1: parties and be like yeah hey, I'm so amazing I know all these songs
3: just play that one yeah Ali, I feel like you're looking into my soul that's exactly <laughs> what I want to do it's like pull the guitar <laughs> at the party play this one great song and then leave feeling like I'm on top you know I think that's a more proper introduction of me.
2: I've been doing work in prisons for most of my life, you know, since I was a teenager. I started uh, going in when I was just, you know, 15 years old, back in the late 80s. And, you know, I was, my cousins were on tour with a group called Digital Underground. And I remember being in their, like, basement apartment in Brooklyn when they were about to go on tour and they showed me the big poster. And they were like, yeah, we're going on tour with Humpty Hump. The Humpty Dance is your chance to do the hump do it baby do the Humpty Hump you know the song so so they had a little a dancer on tour with digital underground shock g and the dancers name was Tupac Shakur <laughs> he was a dancer for the group and my cousins were going on tour with them and we were like oh my gosh nobody was thinking about Pac. they're all about you know Humpty <laughs> Hump right so um how much things have changed but they really encourage encouraged us to go for you know our dream and to follow in their footsteps and so we, uh, we wanted to, to go and perform. We wanted this woman, this sister named Paula Medina to manage us. And she said, well, I'll manage you if you come and do a show in the prison with me. We were all nervous as hell. We've never been to a prison. It was about, you know, we believe what we saw on TV and in the movies. And so um, we, uh, we were hesitant, but we did it because we really wanted to work with this woman who was a powerhouse forced into community, activist, and ran for city council later on. And, Uh, And it was one of the most transformative experiences of our lives, because we saw people who looked like us, people who looked like our uncles, our our fathers. And it was just my brothers, my cousin and I singing, you know, rapping, doing poetry, banging on the tables, you know, just creating music however we could. And the guys inside were so grateful because, you know, people in prison are the easiest people in the world to forget about. The fact that we didn't forget about them during the holidays meant the world to them. We broke bread after the show and we literally went back every year for 10 years. And I found ways to continue that work, you know, even later in my life, you know, both as an artist and then later as an educator and as an activist Um, and to really now use those experiences to bring attention to, you know, the largest uh, prison industrial complex in human history, which the United States uh, now has its claim to fame, or should I say claim to infamy?
1: Mm definitely well that kind of leads me on quite well to my next question which was you said you sort of carried this on throughout your life could you tell us a little bit more about lyrics from lockdown and maybe the organization you founded blackout arts collective as well
2: yeah absolutely so it's really interesting because you know Claudia uh, and i uh have like crossed paths for many years and been in similar circles without really knowing each other until about maybe a year or two ago um but you know the organization she runs right now for freedoms is very similar in some ways to the organization that I started on the East Coast, Blackout Arts Collective. It was a collective of artists who are really trying to, you know, pool their ideas and energy, imagination and resources to figure out how they could be more effective as uh, as a collective, right? And you know, for us in in New York, we started Blackout Arts Collective. Many of us were students. You know, some of us were just artists who were you know in between gigs. And we just, we got tired of getting treated like the hired help at other people's shows. And so one of my mentors, a brilliant uh, lawyer by the name of Kellis Parker, uh, brother, I, I'll talk, to, talk about some more in a minute, who used to teach law school classes at Columbia University with his trombone using jazz principles. He used jazz to teach about the law, teach about democracy. And Kellis, Kellis told, told us, he said, if you're getting tired of getting treated like the hired help, you know, organize your own thing. You know, put it together the way you want to put together. And that, we we, we threw our first show, it was called The Blackout. And it was a space to have social and political art and and artists of color who didn't have a platform that was our own. And every month we did this, we organized this. And for a decade, Blackout Arts Collective started in New York and then at a certain point we had 10 chapters in 10 cities across the country where folks emulated that model and and then began taking work into public schools and then later on into prisons. So that's that's kinda how blackout started. Lyrics from lockdown, you know, as I had my own experiences with the prison system, you know, uh in law school actually. I was thrown in jail for a crime I didn't commit. And I use that story and the experience of a friend of mine, Namien Williams, who's been locked up for over twenty-nine years for a crime he didn't commit in Texas. You know, I basically told his story, my story using this show and I workshop the show over the years as I was going into prisons and performing across the country. And I would get feedback and tweak it, get feedback and tweak it. And so that's kind of the the network, the national network that Black Art Art Collective built was basically what I used to kind of woodshed or kind of workshop or try out, you know, uh, the, the pieces. And now the show itself, you know, I play 40 different characters to kind of show my arrest and my incarceration, and name arrest and incarceration. Um, and that we've played everywhere from, from Singapore to Belgium, to you know, st- colleges and prisons all across the country from you know Carnegie Hall and Lincoln Center to Sing Sing Prison and Rikers Island Prison. And so uh, it's been a show that I think, I never imagined would resonate with folks the way that it does, but because we're in a moment of like global uprising and especially uprising, in defense of black life like we've never seen before, uh, folks are really you know demanding that we speak out against what's happening with policing and prisons, uh, specifically around black bodies, you know specifically around you know black women and black men, black trans folks, but, but you know black and brown and working in poor communities have been calling for this for a very long time and it just so happens that you know this work generated from the experiences and input of folks in prisons around the country. Uh, really brings together so much uh, of that experience and so much of that performative analysis of injustice.
1: I really like that term, performative analysis of injustice. It kind of sounds, sort of sums up what lyrics from lockdown is, maybe, as a a work.
2: Yeah, I think I got it from Claudia.
3: (laughs) Yeah, Claudia, could you tell us a bit about Four Freedoms? Sure, yeah. Four Freedoms is an organization that was founded in 2015 by artists um, and they actually started off as a super PAC. I don't know if y'all know what that is out in No, England. I don't. A, a super PAC is a political <laughs> organization that um, it's all about funding uh, politics, but it was an art performance. They had no intention of really funding politics. And since then it's it shifted, it's sort of evolved. And now, as Brian said, it's a network of artists, uh, both on a national and international scale, Um, that are working towards lots of things very sort of loosely related, or maybe we broadly define civic engagement. And there's also home to a space called the Wide Awakes, uh, which is a movement that started in early 2020, a super like open source, come as you are, everything sort of welcome space created by artists to inspire each other, to collaborate and to ensure that people are inspired to get involved. Mm. Whatever that means, right? For some people, it's voting. For some folks who aren't eligible to vote, either because they have a record or don't have proper citizenship status, maybe they're going to meetings, maybe they're proposing solutions to the issues they see around them, but just to be involved. In the United States, we have a long history of vulnerable communities being just sort of taken out of the conversation, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Not being disinvited, but just not having received an invitation at all to be part, to, to come to the table. And so we're doing a lot of work in order to ensure that people from all communities know that they're needed,
0: Mm. that their voice isn't
3: just welcome, but it's needed. It's incomplete without them.
1: Yeah. It's interesting how that started out as an arts project and then became more political as it went along. Why do you think like was there a specific reason for that or I guess the stuff you have just touched on?
3: I think it's because you know when an when an artist takes on a project, they are usually are very open to whatever it's going to become, right? It's very rare mm-hmm. that an artist starts a project and it ends exactly as they thought it was going to in the very first moment they conceived it. <laughs> they're open to what it becomes, right? Because they understand that oftentimes they're a vehicle through which the message is coming through, to which the project is coming through. Unlike lawyers, right? Brianna and I are both lawyers. <laughs> We're very um singularly focused on this one idea or this one solution right we approach things with a very myopic perspective (laughs) it lacks creativity it lacks imagination and that's why artists need to be part of all of these conversations in order to keep Mm -hmm. all the possibilities open and to understand that the way that we've always done it doesn't work yeah we actually need new ideas new energy new possibilities
1: People teaching law with the trombone.
3: <laughs> Absolutely. So needed. Right. I mean, even there's there's sub disciplines in law that don't exist yet because they've never existed. And the law is like so traditional. But you start incorporating people that come from a more artistic perspective, like Brian, And then we explode these ideas around what is part of the criminal legal system, what is relevant to teaching and learning about the law.
1: Yeah, that's so great. I've never thought of specifically law and art sort of being collated together. So that's really, really great to hear. Speaking about that, um, could you tell us a little bit about the launch of the Center for
3: Justice at UCLA? Yes. So the Center (laughs) for Justice is a long time coming. And I definitely want Brianna to weigh in on how many people for how many years have been thinking and talking about this. But I want (laughs) to just personally share that um, this project, which is the central mission of the Center for Justice, is for people who are formally and currently incarcerated to be in dialogue with lawyers, artists, elected officials, stake, other stakeholders, to propel mass decarceration. Right, That's the central mission, is to ensure that the primary voice um, the primary voices are people who are formerly and currently incarcerated and to allow them to drive how we go about ensuring that we uh, execute right mass incarceration but my own interest in it comes from brian shared two stories about himself and nanan williams being arrested falsely arrested for things they did not do i was arrested as a teenager for something i did do
4: mm. that i
3: was 100 percent guilty of and because of of my own performance in schools and the relationships that I had with people that had power, um, the principal of my school, I ended up uh, participating through a diversion program that kind of got me out of that situation, right? I, I was on probation for a very long time. I had a lot of community service hours. I also was grounded by my parents for a really long time. <laughs> so there was a lot of consequences to my actions. But in the end, I basically have sort of you know, float it through since then. I was able Mm. to go to college. I went to law school, became a lawyer, did all these things. There are other people who don't have those resources in place or don't have that luck, Mm. right? For like that one bad decision just chases them forever. And it exacerbates, right? It just sort of like magnifies in all these different ways. Uh, My younger brother was falsely accused for something he didn't do And then when there were small things that he did do later on that shouldn't have mattered very much, they mattered so much because of this thing on his record. And he had a very different experience than I did. Mm. And so all of these life experiences inform my very deep commitment to this work and uh, participating in the launch, the imagination and the um, pushing forward of these ideas around the Center for Justice.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that with us. Did you mention that Breon had some stuff to
2: weigh in? I, she covered it so well. I think it's just really important for me to underscore, you know, one of the central elements of what she just said, which is that we both have records, but she's the real gangster. Um.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I really wish we could have captured that footage of Claudia (laughs) drinking some water and it almost coming
2: out. You know what I'm saying? So. I wasn't trying to be the, the, you know, the Cholo in the mix, you know, but, uh, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, I think she said it brilliantly and that really is it, you know, I think the one story that comes to mind from when I talk about, you know, why we do this work, why it's so important to have folks, you know, for many years you have people making policies, you know, from Washington, DC that affect their lives all over the country, you know, People in London making policies for folks, you know, who, who live in Swansea, right? You know, <laughs> and there's, there's problems with that. But even more than the geographic distance is the distance in terms of like your life experience, you know, the freedom fighter, death row lawyer, Brian Stevenson says we have to be proximate. You have to have proximity mm-hmm. is one of these problems. The people closest to the problem is usually closest to the solution. And so um, really making sure the shift in the last decade has been to really make sure you bring the voices of incarcerated folks in uh, in front and center. And a lot of folks talk about formerly incarcerated folks, and that's important, but not just formerly, currently incarcerated. inside prison right now, have a voice that needs to be heard and half the states in the European European Union, half the states can vote while you're in prison. Everything but the Soviet black countries. But the United States, you can't vote while you're in prison in any state except for Vermont and Maine. And what do Vermont and Maine have in common? They are the whitest states in the union The states with, with almost entirely white populations let you vote in prison, but the states with a whole lot of black and brown people. Oh, no, 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 no. You lost your right to vote because you committed a crime. So those contradictions need to be brought to the light. We need to make sure the voices of folks inside are, are heard. And the one experience I'll never forget, I had we interviewed, I started a program at NYU with a prison called Walk Hill Prison, a prison where my own brother, Cheyenne, was actually just spent some time. I was in law school while he was locked up. And the first day we interviewed the young brothers at Hill, we asked everybody the same question. Why do you want to do college while you're in prison? Right? Building these linkages between the universities and the, and the correctional facilities. And this young brother looked at me and he said, I need to do college while I'm in prison because prison is like Medusa. He said, prison is like Medusa. If I focus on it, if I stare at it too much, it will turn me to stone wow and it gave me chills he said i need something else to focus my attention on i need to focus on my education i needed to focus on building parts of myself i didn't have the opportunity to build before getting here which is why i ended up here in the first place and i mean at that point i was like can i take your class <laughs> you know <laughs> i want to study with you brother you know but that stays with me and that is what that is a big part of it you know is that we've mm. got to bring humanity to spaces where folks have been systematically dehumanized.
0: Yeah. I think that's such a good picture, isn't it? Like the idea of Medusa and turning to stone and being inside this place where you're just surrounded by stone walls, just how demoralizing that must be.
2: 95% of the folks in prisons here are gonna come home, you know, and um, I know a high percentage uh, in the UK, cause y'all do a much better job of, even the staff in prisons there are better trained. Like, you know, when I was there, you know, last, I came twice in the last two years, to do residencies at Oxford, at Cambridge, University of London, Birkbeck, College of Law, and uh, went into Brixton, the Brixton prison, went into the Whitemore prison. And they were recruiting from the top social work schools in the UK and all mm-hmm. over Europe. And they wanted specifically social work master students to come and yeah. be in the prison be educators in the prison and they wanted to make sure they had hundreds of hours of conflict resolution mediation and that was important to them you know what the COs here get in terms of training they get hundreds of hours of firearms training right we have to do better
1: yeah i think it's definitely useful to make the comparisons and sort of look at uh, look at the situation globally as well just coming back to something you were talking about earlier which was the importance of those in proximity to the situation and the voices of those uh, with lived experience I'm wondering if you have any of either of you have any thoughts on how sort of arts and maybe music can facilitate that sort of
3: expression for those with lived experience yeah I mean I think part of what music does at least for me and for people I've spoken to (laughs) is it it really, it touches a different part of your soul, right? Where sometimes we're in our cognitive brain, we're listening to information, stats, graphs, whatever. And we can only conceptualize it so much, but music just bypasses all of that and goes like straight inside. And so the storytelling that's part of music is so much more compelling than anything a white paper coming out of a university can do. You know, I think about in the early 90s when I was listening to Tupac, um, and rest in peace. And he had this song, I think it was called 16 on death row or something. And listening to that story about a 16 year old being on death row in California, which, you know, was the case at the time was, I mean, was enough to get anybody on their feet, you know, yeah. and wanting to do something, anything they could to ensure that that wasn't a reality, that that wasn't like the world that we lived in. So I just think the, the storytelling that comes out of music, especially, especially when it's done in collaboration because right? I think almost anything is better when it comes out of collaborations. Um, yeah,
1: It's just so much more yeah.
3: moving than anything else.
1: Yeah, I really like that point about collaboration actually. I mean, I wonder if you have any thoughts on how, I know that you have a lot of experience with or a practitioner of transformative justice, as it, as I said in the bio I read, um, but I wonder if you feel that that sort of element of music and collaboration sort of contributes towards transformative justice, that kind of that kind
3: of thing. Yeah, I think so. I mean, because the at the center of transformative justice is this idea that we're a community, mm. right, and that we have to do things together. The collective must must um, interrogate the environment around us together and we must come up with solutions for resolution for healing for addressing harm um, as a group that everybody's got something to give to this conversation and that it's going to be so much better if we're doing it together and i think you know that's that's what comes out of the arts in Mm -hmm. fact Breon i think said this to me once that um, when you collaborate on something together there's just there's things that you wouldn't have thought about on your own and so it just becomes a richer tapestry when there's multiple voices and ideas and styles especially styles right that's part of the reason I like Rosalia's music so much I think it's because it's so many styles in one of course it's going to be better <laughs> yeah
1: yeah definitely on that topic I I haven't spoken to you both about this yet but I know that you're working on a project a movement video is that right perhaps you could talk a little bit about that
2: Yes, yeah, so we're in. We're 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 knee deep in the midst of this project. We're animating this video, and it was actually Claudia's idea. You know, she has, she's a, 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 an endless reservoir of ideas, and <laughs> I played a track for her that I recorded, and uh, you know it was missing something, and you know she was like, you know what, I totally I could see this as a video, and I could also hear like a really dope. Female MC on the track with you, and I was like, you know what? I I love this sister named Maya Jupiter. She was like, Maya Jupiter, that's my girl. I was like, get out of here. <laughs> so we both <laughs> t- Maya at the same time. Maya is 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 ill. Maya is she's a Chicana Australian radical feminist MC. She calls herself the Chica- Chicana from down under.
3: <laughs> nice.
2: So we. Up and Maya was like I'm in so we sent her the track and basically it's the track is like a eulogy for racial capitalism that's how we're framing it you know nice. got a special cameo from MC Ruthie Gilmore the scholar activist abolitionist she don't even know she's on the track but she is oh. <laughs> Ruthie Gilmore is on the track Maya Jupiter is on the track and it's being animated and really it is uh just you know there's so much you know so much music, and part of this is you know, hip hop for the last you know, four to five decades, came out of these communities that I'm from in New York, in New York City, a bunch of black and brown kids running around, not feeling supported by the systems around them, feeling like the schools weren't serving their interests, feeling like they're they you know, being set up to be locked up and pushed out of the schools. And so we created our own ways of engaging, you know, and hip hop is, is a culture that includes all these different art forms, right? It's the music of the DJ, right? It, when they cut the, the, all the school programs, they cut music out of the school, many of the school programs. It's the poetry of the MC, right? The lyricist, the wordsmith, the griot in the African tradition, the, the storyteller tells the community, pass on the community wisdom. It's the visual art of the graffiti artists who are tagging up the walls, the, you know, in new age urban hieroglyphics everywhere you go on the subway trains, right, you know. Um, and then it's the dance. It's the movement. It's the, the the B-Boys and the B-Girls breaking during the breaks of the songs that the DJ was spinning. And so we created our own art forms, our own culture with all these different art forms mixed in together and that was an important part of, of, of who we are. So in those communities, though, also, when there was such scarcity in terms of uh, financial resources, folks often wanted to talk about celebrating life. Some of it was about survival, some about celebration. But in that, you know, the sort of the braggadocio, you're kind of puffing yourself up because you've been down by the system, a lot of that music can lean towards the materialistic, right? And so we understand why that is when you've been denied access to material objects and material things you're like, man, why am I missing these things? And every time I turn on the TV or look at a billboard, there's such opulence in this, you know, uh, in, in the American landscape. And so we wanted to actually do something that didn't say, didn't beat up on those folks who were doing that, but also said, look, we should think about Money in a different way. And think about how the scriptures tell us the love of money is the root of all evil, right? And think about how putting profits over people is really the death of every empire and the death of every society and something we can't be committed to. Because at the end of the day, I truly believe, and I think the, the song and the video capture this idea that some people are so poor, all they have is money.
3: I don't think that we need to just talk about it. Can we play the track? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Go
2: for it. All right. Yeah, I'd love for you to hear this. So this is uh, Maya Jupiter, Ruthie Gilmore. Um, she's probably going to hear for the first time here. So, Ruthie, don't sue us because we, <laughs> we ain't making no money off your voice. We're just trying to get the message to the people because uh, we love and respect you, everything you're about and <laughs> put out in the world. Um, and uh, the producer is, uh, we have two brothers on this one, and Federico Lopez mixed and, mixed and mastered it. Charles D Montebello mastered it in New York City. Okay, Elliot Bohr. Oh, original music by Elliot Bohr, whose whose grand uncle was Niels Bohr, discoverer of the structure of the atom. Right, beryllium is their, t- their their uh their element on the periodic table. So
3: <laughs> That's incredible!
2: Wow. He produced it. Elliot Bohr is the main producer on the track, and so nice. Um, here we go. Whenever you're ready, Claudia.
3: excited. All capitalism is racial from its beginning, which is that we can't undo racism without undoing capitalism.
4: Devoted to the dollar like Buddhists, the Dalai Lama's, like Shakespeare was the drama. Stick up kids who run up on you, cause all the world's a stage and the plot is getting paid. Disciples of the 12 gauge last supper's every day. Pimps and church services, cashing in hand over fist All folks who broke to live feast in front of hungry kids Look behind the curtain, no matter what they serving I know one thing is for certain, they won't take it when they turn it When flesh is returning back on the earth's surface Them worms won't be concerned with how much bread your bank is earning Living for the love of money in the land of milk and honey When you broke or hungry, ain't a damn thing funny if money grew on trees, we would all be living free Nobody down on their knees, begging spare a penny please Whether selling rocks, are you just another stock? Waiting for that bit to drop, back up on the auction block For the love of money, living for the love of money For the love of money, keeping for the love of money For the love of money, slaving for the love of money For the love of money, changing for the love of money Money
1: heals, money hurts, money my purse is gift and curse Gotta get it, don't let it get you First. When it dries up you gon' feel that thirst Get drunk off that disrespect Pay no mind to who it affects Turn a female into an object Turn a rebuild architect Money is not the only currency we've got Money is rice and beans, semen in the pot It's a love for my family that could never be bought Money to make the world go round and makes the world rot This system was created by broken people who made it They complicated the structure ruptured. now it's outdated Indigenous hands work the land are regenerated We must learn from the originals how they bought it and traded Money isn't power or the peace that we need But if it's money that we're working with then give it to me I was spread to equally give everybody a seed Because the people are the power
3: without money we're free
4: For the love of money, some steal from their mother. For the love of money, some rob their own brother. For the love of money, some try to be another. For the love of money, some betray their own lover. Don't let money change you. Don't let money rearrange you. Just as fast as it can free you. Loving money, gon' go cage you. Think your money is your savior. Leave folks to strange behavior. Ain't no iron bars hard as a prison made of paper. Old trap made a snap. Might get clapped. Let you strap. That's a fact. Quick as that, you don't get no victory lap. Fly out and fall flat. Just like cooking crap. More money, more problems. You big enough to handle that. No matter the size of your cargo. We won't get you broken, sorrow we'll Be the bow, Not the arrow, some lead of his father. Why I beg, sheep borrow For what's gonna be gone tomorrow What's the point in stacking treasure If your treasure chest is hollow For the love of money, living for the love of money Money, money like Monopoly, monopoly, money, monopoly. For, the love of money. for the love of money, sleeping for the love of money For the love of money, changing for the love of money It's just so for sale how much is your tear? What amounts to the discount to mount your backside to your will? For the love of money, never ending race, run and make it cloudy day sunny. Can't nobody take it from me. That's how they get you. We can't take it with you. It costs to be the boss, so make sure the price fits you. Before your soul perishes, justice miscarriages. Better take back your life. Rewrite your own narrative. For the love of, gotta get it, cause never got enough. This damn stuff. For the love of, what I can't touch, cause I can't trust. them. I talk to. But for the love of money, fools will do your ass dirty. They ain't worthy or deserving of a serving of what you're earning. But the world keeps turning, fires keep burning as the rich get richer and the poor carry the burning. Inner city poverty, strong armed uh, robbery. From the projects to the tropics, getting top thought pro- properly. Money like monopoly. Robbery. Robbery. Money. In Money. the city, poverty, strong off robbery. From the projects to the tropics, getting topped off properly. Money like Monopoly, we made it what it gotta be. But that's worthless if your purpose hasn't surfaced. Ironically, Ironic.
0: Okay, I need to know when I can download that. <laughs> that was incredible. That ending as well. I love the like quarter tone slide thing on the cello. I love it. I love the lyrics as well. I'm just like listening to them like, yes. Thank,
1: Thank you. you so much for sharing that because we haven't had any actual like live music on this podcast yet.
2: Cool. Thank you. I appreciate you you uh, listening. We haven't played it for anybody yet. So you're our first audience. That was
1: so good. I need to know when I can download that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> the, the video, the, we're going to release it with the animated video, and it's like 70% done, 75% done, Claudia, would you say? Maybe. Yeah,
3: <laughs> I mean, maybe that's aspirational. I don't know. It's hard to tell. Uh, you know, this is... um my first time working with an animator where they're animating everything from beginning to end. Oh, right. And I'm like, don't you just have to draw some stuff and then we're finished?
0: (laughs) (laughs) But genuinely, though, are we allowed to ask when this might be done, when it might be finished, when we can see it for sure?
3: Absolutely. It was going to be done in December and then (laughs) January and then February. So
2: My birthday is March 20th. So if we were going to be super ambitious and try to get it done by my birthday, that would be a very special gift, Claudia. And as the director, you have the power to actually.
3: <laughs> when we first spoke to some animators about this project and told them what we wanted to do, they were like, yeah, sure, that'll take six to nine months. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's it's kind of been lining up with exactly what people said it was going yeah. to be, but Brian and I are both like, no, we could do it. We could do it sooner, we could do it faster. We just got to find the right partner. So big we did. We found the right partner who was like, "I can get it done in two months." Except for now, it's three and four months. <laughs> but, but we love him.
1: He's very talented. When it's done, just send it along to us, and we will share it because I am excited for that.
2: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Big shout out to Ronaldo, the animator. He just got a. He just got a gig at at Warner Brothers. So you know, we gotta. You know, he don't he don't return our calls. By the way, like he used to, but. Uh... <laughs>
0: right
3: now though you are still doing an excellent job
2: <laughs> hopefully by summer hopefully by summer i think yeah
1: that, that'd be a good summer jam yeah. cool so i have a few more questions i think if that's okay sort of moving on slightly from the topics we discussed what would you encourage young musicians to consider when
3: thinking about the arts and social justice here comes the debate <laughs> mm-hmm. Rihanna and I see this slightly differently I think okay that, that well, may I or may it. not be true I think the the way that you phrase the question is if they're thinking about integrating their work in social justice yeah. movements right that's slightly different I think my answer to that would just be be honest with yourself and the stuff that you're creating especially when people first learn about activism and like systems of oppression and systems of power they become sort of overzealous about their own participation in things Mm. and then it's really easy to become very sort of didactic and and preachy yeah but also to to lose your own path right like you hear all these other things that are happening and you're like oh i gotta If I'm really down as an activist, if I really care about racial justice, then I have to do it like this. Mm. When that may or may not be the case, but what's more important to me is that it's honest and coming from your heart that you feel that this is an authentic expression of what you have to say, that this is truly something coming through you to be offered to the world and not something that you're doing as a performance or to show people how down you are, show people how politicized you are. Mm. That stuff to me is kind of boring. Like I can hear it. And also it's such a disservice to the world because you probably have something much better to offer when you're not attempting to live up to everybody else's expectations of what it looks like to be an artist or to be a musician that's engaged in social justice work.
0: I love that. I think that's such good advice for young musicians as well, because I know from my own experience, I think just going to university and studying music. I for so long it took me so long to learn what you just said, which was your art and your music is going to be so much better if you do it for yourself and you speak really or you try and express really what what you have to offer rather than try and essentially people please with your music and your art. Um so I think that's yeah, I'm like guilty as charged on that front. So I think <laughs> so I think that's a really good piece of really good piece of advice. Yeah, definitely. Uh,
2: let's hear from Braille then let me tell you why Claudia is wrong So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, <laughs> No, 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 I I actually I think there's a lot of truth in what she just said <laughs> I would Really say it's the whole truth, but I think there's a lot of truth in it so and I have two mentors who are in either of my ears, right and uh, and I think I think one mentor uh, Kellis Park, who I talked about, who taught law school with his trombone, you know, he had this great advice, you know, where he was like, you know, you, you see a lot of artists, you know, at a certain point, everybody wanted to be public enemy, everybody wanted to be dead prayers, everybody wanted to be, you know, um, and on some level, I think that's natural. New artists, like you emulate other artists, you know, folks will write Hemingway's words out, write Shakespeare's words out because you go through the mechanics that they actually went through in writing their work and it gives you insight into their process. But ultimately, after you are initially inspired by someone, emulate someone, you play like someone else, you want to find your own voice. What is your contribution to the world? Mm-hmm. And I used to say, if you could sing and dance just like Michael Jackson, the world wouldn't need you because they already had him, right? Yeah. But you're the only person with your story, with your experiences, you're the only person who has what you have to contribute to the world. So find that. Utilize all these other folks around you who inspire you, right, and give you uh, enthusiasm for the work. Enthusiasm, you know, the etymology of it means to be filled with God, right? So whatever, you know, reminds you, you know, when when flamenco singers, like uh, flamenco dancers, like Claudia was saying, when they dance, the highest expression of a flamenco dance, everybody else out. ole, ole, which comes from. Allah, Allah, when the Moors occupied Europe for 800 years, and Allah, the highest expression of God, was seen in the music and the dance. And so whoever gives you that feeling, that feeling that you're closer to something that's greater than yourself, closer to your creator, right? Celebrate that and then find your own way to be a vessel for that instead of trying to mimic somebody else's vessel. So in that sense, I completely agree with be your genuine self, be your authentic self, and find the way to do that and to contribute what you have to contribute. My other mentor, another one of my mentors, Abio Dun Oyewole from The Last Poets, the very first hip hop group. You know, he talks about how he felt a certain responsibility as an artist, as a poet that people were listening to to actually talk about the pain and suffering that he saw around him in his community. Right? And that was his calling. You know, not everybody feels that same calling. But he said that artists have a responsibility. When your voice is being amplified, and literally when your voice is going into a microphone, it's being amplified. What you're saying, what you're singing, is being multiplied, is being expanded. If you're an artist whose work is, is being exhibited, right? You have a platform, and with that platform, you may think my only responsibility is to myself and to my creator. That is absolutely your first and foremost responsibility. But You also stand on the shoulders of people who made incredible sacrifices for you to stand where you are, for you to hold that mic in your hand, for you to be in that museum, for you to be in that orchestra, and you have a responsibility to those folks, right? And you may not be called to account now, but in some afterlife, you will be called to account for the decisions you make that either honor or dishonor the sacrifices that were made for you to have the position that you have and that you occupy, the privileges. That you enjoy. Right. And so in that sense, I think, you know, it's important to think about, you know, why are you where you are? You know, to, to make a shift from art to politics. A lot of folks say, you know what? Fuck the system. I don't want to vote. This wasn't designed for us anyway. Right. It's a bullshit. Anyway, all these politicians are puppets, they're clowns. It doesn't mean anything anyway. And I hear that. I also know people bled and died for black people to get the right to vote. Right, People bled and died for women to get the right to vote. So you, have, you absolutely have the choice. You have agency. You can decide to do whatever you want with that. But don't act like right, folks did not make sacrifices for you to have what you have. And if you can know that and ignore that, that's on you. But I, as an artist, I cannot let you act like you don't know. <laughs> it's important to me that you act like you know
1: that was a good way of putting it that was great i love having both of those perspectives here um despite claudia getting completely <laughs>
3: roasted by brion there for a second <laughs> the very thick skin hanging out with brion.
2: <laughs> All love. All love. <laughs>
1: how do you both feel that musicians and artists can advocate for decarceration further i mean Obviously, by the work that you both are doing, but um, pr- potentially even as well, a message for our listeners: How could they learn more about this? How could they read up about some of the the work that you're both doing? Um,
3: any messages you want to share relating to that? I'm going to jump in and do the easy part, and then leave the hard part to <laughs> <laughs> Um Part of decarceration is not just around the criminal legal system and shutting down. It's also the interpersonal ways in which we engage each other, small relationships one-on-one with your romantic partners, with your friends, with your family, communities, in workspaces. So ways in which we talk to each other about harm, about how to resolve harm, about how to heal, and just thinking much more deeply about how punitive we are with each other. And that's a whole paradigm shift that needs to happen in order for mass incarceration to take place on a global scale.
0: Mm.
3: So that's something that I'd love for people to think about in their own personal lives, right? So there's a lot of work they need to do externally around engaging with social justice movements and global movements of mass incarceration, but introspectively, right? Turning inward about the ways in which they help promote these ideas that lead to mass incarceration, I think is also an important part of the work
2: great. Well, I don't know if there's anything left. I mean, you you hit it, you know. Um, I mean, there's there was an experiment done in 1934 at the University of Cologne, and the experiment was called the Sano-luminescence experiment. And Sano means sound and luminescence means light. And the Sano-luminescence experiment was one in which the scientists took these cylinders from the floor to the ceiling and put sound waves into the top and into the bottom. And they turned the volume up and they were trying to see if they could cause the film to develop more rapidly. And this was the idea behind it. As they turned the volume up on the sound waves going into the solution, the bubbles in the solution began to vibrate. And the louder they turned the sound waves up, the more rapidly the bubbles began to vibrate. And the sound, when the sound got to a certain volume, it got so high, the bubbles vibrated so rapidly that they exploded into light. And they didn't fully understand what the science was of how sound energy could turn into light energy. You know, sound is very fast, but light is, you know, almost... Yeah, many hundreds of thousands of times faster, right? And so when they looked at this more closely, they had an understanding of what was going on. But even folks folks in chattel slavery on the plantation already knew what this was about, right? Because we read the scriptures and we understood the scriptures said to us, in the beginning, God said, let there be light. The sound of God's voice created... An explosion—that is the sun. Can you imagine what that word must have been? Right. You know, we know another scripture says, "In the beginning was the the word, and the word was God." Right. And I used to wonder what that meant. How was a word God? And I understand now. Uh, certainly, as a poet, right? <laughs> I <laughs> appreciate it even more. Right. You know, the every word out of our mouths is a is godlike because it creates a universe of possibilities. Right? You tell somebody you're stupid, you're stupid, you're stupid, you're stupid long enough, a child what happens? They internalize it. The other scripture says the word becomes flesh. They internalize those words. Those sound vibrations cause that light bulb to turn on. If you ever heard a speaker, a preacher, a singer, an opera singer, right, a blues singer, a jazz singer singing, their vibrations move in a certain way. Their truth comes out of them in such a way comes out of the instrument in such a way that it causes the hairs on the back of your neck to just stand up. It gives you the chills. It causes a light bulb to go off. Sound energy turns into light energy. I think this is the power, one of the many powerful ways to understand what art can do, right? And whether you're a poet or a singer or a musician, uh, the idea that you can actually turn one kind of energy into another kind of energy and have explosive Exponential results is, I think, one of the really important aspects of what we do that we cannot forget because there's so much power in that. It is godlike in its power, and godlike in the humblest sense, in the sense that we are connected to something that is truly greater than ourselves. But if we refine ourselves and our craft and our discipline, we can become ourselves, can become instruments of that greater thing, and bring that power into the world for good.
1: I had no idea where you were going when that started, but that was, like, beautiful. That was I didn't really know awesome. you were going to church today, Holly. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a beautiful way of putting it. Thank, Thank you so much,
3: guys, for joining us today. So Thanks much. so much for having us. This was fun, even though Brienne's insane. <laughs>
2: <laughs> awesome. Take care, y'all.
1: So, Rebecca, what did you think of our chat with Brianna and Claudia?
0: Oh, it was so incredible. What Mm -hmm. I love most about both of them is their energy. I think they both have a different, but both have an incredible energy to bring to the table. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think also what combined with that energy and passion that they have, which is just totally infectious, um, I think they also have the benefit of coming from a place of genuine sort of lived experience and and Mm. everything that they say therefore comes across genuine and it comes in a way which is like okay I've been through this and therefore I'm wanting to use that to 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 connect with other people from that place um yeah I think that was it yeah how about you
1: yeah I mean I absolutely agree and as well like the thing the, the the word genuine I think what I found interesting was Claudia used that word quite a bit to talk about um sort of entering the arena of social justice or social change and she spoke a bit about um you know in when talking about prison reform or prison abolition or decarceration or whatever you want to sort of be advocating for that it's really important to enact that those principles in your own life and the way you speak to other people um yeah and she just sort of spoke about entering spaces with humility and just being authentic and where you're coming from which I just thought was a really lovely message. And also, I absolutely loved the the music, they, the track they played for us. That yeah. was great. That um, was so good. And it had some really good cello lines, which I was loving <laughs> as a cellist. And I could see Brion like smiling at me every time the cello came on and I was like, yes.
0: <laughs> so yeah, that was
1: such a good chat, I thought.
0: Yeah, same. If you enjoyed listening to our conversation, please like, rate and subscribe to this podcast and be sure to give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at UK. Have a great week and thank you for listening.